Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there. Welcome back to the New Testament podcast. Today's lesson is going to be Luke chapter 1. Bruce R. McConkie said, A God was coming to earth and everything connected with his birth and life and ministry and resurrection and ascension to eternal glory. Everything must be perfect. It must conform to what the prophets have foreseen, foreknown, and foretold. Truly, omnipotent wisdom had left nothing to chance. A God was coming into the world and the world must be ready for his advent. In our last lesson, we did talk about the premortal existence of Jesus. And so now we're going to be talking about... Uh, his birth, but we're going to do, before that, we need to talk about uh, John the Baptist and his birth. And so the heading of the chapter reads, Gabriel promises Zacharias that Elizabeth shall bear a son whom they shall name John. He also tells Mary she shall be the mother of the Son of God. Mary visits Elizabeth and utters a psalm of praise. John the Baptist is born. Zacharias prophesies of Joseph's mission. As I mentioned before, we're all going to, also going to be mostly using the Joseph Smith translation too. So beginning in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read first of all Luke's preface. As I am a messenger of Jesus Christ, and knowing that many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, in the Greek it says, which have been fulfilled, even as they delivered them unto us, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. There may have been many others who wrote accounts of the life of Jesus. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Luke is not an eyewitness of these things, but believed from the testimony of others. Verse 4, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. From these first four these first four verses are a preface to his gospel. According to Bruce R. McConkie, Luke was a legal administrator. He held the Melchizedek priesthood, served as an official minister of Christ, quite likely wrote his gospel by assignment of the church officers, and spoke as one having authority. We also know that Luke was a physician, and that he may have spent some time with Paul, uh, also with Peter, and that he may have uh, interviewed quite a number of the women uh, that were in Jesus's life. And that may be why uh, some of this uh, you'll see is from the perspective of a woman. That's why uh, there's lots of women mentioned in this first part. Verse 5, we begin with the Annunciation to Zacharias. <clears throat> there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. Now, Abijah, or Abia, was the name of one of the 24 orders of priests organized under King David. When the Jews returned to Jerusalem prior to Jesus' birth, there were only four of the, of the orders that were represented. And that's noted in Chronicles 24, verse 10. And his wife, meaning Zacharias, being of the daughters of Aaron, and her name Elizabeth. Now, both Zacharias and Elizabeth were of the tribe of, of Levi and were, of the, were descendants also of Aaron. And that's what makes Zacharias... Um, able to do the, the priestly duties is that he was a direct descendant of Aaron. Verse 6, were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Elder McConkie said, though many of the Jews in the meridian of time were in a state of dire, direful and awful apostasy, 
such darkness of mind and spirit was not universal. It did not envelop the whole nation. Elizabeth and Zacharias were, right, were righteous saints. Both were lineal descendants of Aaron, and Zacharias held the office of priest in the Aaronic priesthood. There were, there were many priests in Israel, literal descendants of Aaron. Elder McConkie estimates that there were between twenty and 24,000 direct descendants of Aaron. Verse 7, And they had no child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well stricken in years. Or in the Greek, the, they were advanced. How can we keep hope when we pray for something that does not happen? It seems like that's what uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias are praying for. Verse 8, And while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his priesthood, according to the law, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The honor of officiating in the temple seldom fell to the same person twice in a lifetime. The whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Not all Israel was in a state of apostasy. There were many righteous, including Elizabeth and Zacharias. Verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw the angel, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Zacharias had prayed that Elizabeth would have a child. That's the prayer that he's mostly interested in. Although he's praying for the rest of the house of Israel here, he's praying also for Elizabeth. <clears throat> and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. John means Jehovah is gracious. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. This did not make John a Nazarite, however. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Elder McConkie said, John alone, of all the prophets, as far as our present scriptures record, was the recipient of this promise. Because of this special endowment, John, yet unborn, and while literally in his mother's womb, recognized and, sal and saluted Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elias. Elias is a forerunner. That's what the word means. This is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, of the, to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John, as the forerunner, was to point the attention of the disobedient children to the wisdom of their just fathers who, in repeated majestic messianic prophecies, had foretold what to them was the future mission and ministry of the Lord in mortality. The hearts of the fathers, the prophets and patriarchs of former ages, had been centered on their children when these great messianic prophecies were recorded. That was by uh, Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 18, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken, or advanced in years. So Zacharias seems to be doubtful here. Verse 19, And the angel answering him, un said unto him, I am Gabriel, uh, Joseph Smith told us that Gabriel is Noah, who stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Noah was sent by Michael or Adam. Clearly there is an angelic hierarchy. Michael the archangel, the greatest of all, the one who stands next to Christ. Angels are under the, sec uh, under the direction of Michael or Adam, who acts under the direction of the Lord. That's by Joseph Smith. Adam, who is Michael, holds the keys of the priesthood from generation to generation, and Noah, who is Gabriel, stands next in authority to Adam in the priesthood. That's by Joseph Smith again. What could be more fitting, then, for Michael, who presides over the angels and directs their labors to send Gabriel his next in command to announce to the mortals involved 
those things they needed to know concerning the promised Messiah and his Elias. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 20, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak. He also becomes deaf, as we'll notice later uh, as things transpire here. Until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. As soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. This event became well known in Jerusalem and other areas. Verses 24 and 25 now talk about Elizabeth's seclusion. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me he took away, he, to take away my reproach from among men. Now, it was common that uh, the women, when they became pregnant, would conceal themselves for a few months. Uh, this also allowed them time to make sure that there was no miscarriages that happened. Beginning with 26 is the Annunciation of Gabriel to Mary. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, this is uh, also, uh, well, let me go on. And in the sixth month, this means the sixth month uh, of Elizabeth's, uh, pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Hebrews prayed three times a day, and it was probably at one of these times that the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. It's probably also in her house, not outside somewhere. Verse 27, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, an espousal was the beginning of a marriage. Although they weren't living together as man and wife, yet it could only be broken by divorcement. The penalty for adultery was stoning or divorcement, which would result in her being a scourge and the child illegitimate. The predicament would result in scandal. Going back to the verse of the house of David and the virgin's, the virgin's name was Mary. Mary's parents were Anna and Jehoiakim, Although Bruce R. McConkie says his name was Jacob, Jehoiakim, I guess, could be Jacob. They were wealthy. Anna had trouble having a child and promised the Lord that if he would bless her with a child, she would dedicate that child to the Lord. When the child was born, they named her Miriam. And that's uh, the name in, in uh, Hebrew would be Miriam, not Mary. Mary is the Greek version. After weaning the child at about age three, they took her to the temple to live and be reared by the priests. Such a child was called the candlestick of the Lord. Mary would serve in the temple the spring and fall of the year and spend her summers in Nazareth. Several years later, her parents died and she inherited everything that was theirs. In Hebrew custom was that a girl would be engaged at age 13 or 14 and sometimes 15, a man between the ages of 19 and 21. Bruce R. McConkie said, As there is only one Christ, so there is only one Mary. And as the Father chose the most noble and righteous of all his spirit sons to come into mortality as his only begotten in the flesh, so we may confidently conclude that he selected the most worthy and spiritually talented of all his spirit daughters to be the mortal mother of his eternal son. Verse 28, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou virgin, who art highly favored of the Lord. The Lord is with thee, for thou art chosen and blessed among women. And when she saw the angel, she was troubled at his saying and pondered in her mind what manner of salutation this be. Mary was troubled at the salutation of the angel. It was a salutation of the elite. He addressed her as an equal, which thing was not done by a Hebrew male, let alone an angel. 
And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Now in Hebrew, his name would have been Yahashua or Jehoshua. Verse 32, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. God the Father is a perfected, glorified, holy man, an immortal personage, and Christ was born into the world as the literal son of this holy being. He was born in the same personal, real, and literal sense that any mortal son is born to a mortal father. There is nothing figurative about his paternity. He is the Son of God, and that designation means what it says. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. As we've learned before, Jesus was the heir to the throne of David. Verse 33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How can this be? And the angel answered and said unto her, Of the Holy Ghost and the power of the highest, therefore also that child that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin, in Greek it's relative, not necessarily a cousin, if you think about it, um, let me, I'll read you first this and then we'll talk about it. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. This was counsel given to Mary to go and receive comfort and help from her cousin. The inference is that Mary's mother was already dead, and that Elizabeth could speak peace to the young, young virgin's heart as no other mortal could. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. It seems improbable that Mary and Elizabeth were actually cousins because Elizabeth was of the tribe of Levi and Mary of Judah. It is certainly possible that they were cousins, but unlikely, maybe by marriage. John the Baptist was, without question, a relative of Jesus on his mother's side. Um, that was by uh, Andrew Skinner and Ogden in verse by verse. Verse 37, For with God nothing can be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mary was very humble and submissive, and the angel departed from her. We think that Mary was probably about 15. That's what Bruce R. McConkie thought. Mary visits Elizabeth in verse 39. And in those days Mary went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Zacharias and Elizabeth may have lived in Hebron, south of Jerusalem, where also Abraham and Sarah lived. Hebron was a Levitical city. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Hebron, or Judah, about 100 miles away from Nazareth. That's by uh, Talmage in Jesus the Christ. Mary would have walked the distance from with a sister and brother and other family members. She would not have gone alone, camping out and facing the ever-present danger of thieves and robbers. Again, that was by Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 40, And entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted, or greeted, Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Remember that back in verse 15, Gabriel promised that John would have the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. According to Elder McConkie, the Spirit enters the body at the time of quickening, months prior to the actual normal birth. Now, we don't know for sure when the Spirit enters the body. Um, it may even enter the body at conception. We just don't know for sure. It's not been revealed. But at least we know that uh, at the time that uh, John uh, John is in, Mar in Elizabeth, that the Spirit has entered into the, into the body by that time. Uh, continuing verse 41, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 42, And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. We may confidently conclude that he selected the most worthy and spiritually talented of all his spirit daughters to be the mortal mother of his eternal son. 
That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Verse 43, And why is it that this blessing is upon me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the, ba the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed art thou who believed, for those things which were told thee by the angel of the Lord shall be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoiceth in God my Savior, for he hath regarded, this is what's known as the, the Magnificat, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he who is mighty hath done to me great things, and I will magnify his holy name for his mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their high seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever." Luke is generally assumed to have been a Greek writing for Greeks. He is nonetheless familiar with the Jewish history and scripture and successfully connects his story with Old Testament scripture. For instance, Luke's characters are portrayed as righteous Israelites, three pairs, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, and Simeon and Anna. Parallel Old Testament characters such as Abraham, Sarah, Hannah, and Isaiah, and Huldah, and also while Luke does not explicitly quote Old Testament scripture in the same way Matthew does. He includes four poetic expressions that take the form of songs of praise or canticles. These are known by their traditional names as the Magnificat, Mary, my soul doth magnify the Lord, the Benedictus, Zacharias, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, the Gloria in Excelsis, the angels, glory to God in the highest, and the Nunc, Demitus, Simeon, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace. These songs reflect the sentiments of those who sang them, yet they also invoke greater meaning by reflecting Old Testament passages. And that was by Eric Huntsman. The next section is that John the Baptist is born, verse 57. Now we're still in Luke chapter 1. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So remember that Mary is probably still with Elizabeth and stays there through the birth of John. Verse 58, and her neighbors and her cousins or relatives heard how the Lord had showed great mercy unto her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day, now John was ordained by an angel. Uh, let me just finish the verse first. Uh, verse 59, and it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. John was ordained by an angel at the age of eight days old. He gave him his commission to serve as the greatest forerunner of all the ages. And that was by Bruce R. McConkie. Why didn't Zacharias ordain John to the priesthood? He held the Aaronic priesthood and did not have the authority to ordain him to his mission. Doctrine and Covenants section 84 says, For he was baptized while he was yet in his childhood, meaning at the age of eight years old. We don't know who baptized him because Zacharias was dead by then, we think and was ordained by the angel of God at the time he was eight days old unto this power to overthrow the kingdom of the Jews and to make straight the way of the Lord before the face of his people to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. 
in whose hand is given all power. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, The reason Zacharias could not ordain John is because of the fact that John received certain keys of authority which his father Zacharias did not possess. Therefore, this special authority had to be conferred by his heavenly messen- this heavenly messenger who was duly authorized and sent to confer it. John's ordination was not merely the bestowal of the Aaronic priesthood, which his father held, but also the conferring of certain essential powers peculiar to the time among which was the authority to overthrow the kingdom of the Jews and to make straight the way of the Lord. Moreover, it was to prepare the Jews and other Israelites for the coming of the Son of God. This great authority required a special ordination beyond the delegated power that had been given to Zacharias or any other priest who went before him. So the angel of the Lord was sent to John in his childhood to confer it. Verse 60, And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they they made signs to his father. So here they're using sign language uh, to talk to Zacharias because he also can't hear and asked him how he would have him called. And he asked for a tablet, a writing tablet, and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. Now John, as I mentioned before, means uh, grace or mercy of Jehovah. 64, And his mouth was open, meaning Zacharias, immediately. And he spake with his tongue and praised God. Now this is Zacharias' prophecy. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of, the, of his holy prophet ever since the world began, that, he, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by baptism for the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, whereby the day spring or dawn from from on high hath visited us, to give light to them who sit in darkness and, and the shadow of death to guide our feet unto the way of peace." And fear came on all who dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad, or discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit. How do we wax strong in spirit today? And was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. John was a priest and held the keys of the Aaronic priesthood. He was trained in obedience to the law of Moses, officiated in the the Levitical ordinances and performances, was married, and probably had children. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. The idea that our Lord's forerunner was a Nazarite for life, had never cut his hair or married, and that he lived always in the deserts is speculation that cannot be true. That he was married, had children, and lived as normal a life as his ministerial assignments permitted, we cannot doubt. Again, that was by Bruce R. McConkie. Uh, And we also know that, uh, or we believe, or some believe anyway, that uh, John the Baptist may have also held the Melchizedek priesthood. Joseph Smith once said that all prophets held the Melchizedek priesthood, and we know that John was a prophet, uh, although his ministry only permitted the use of the Aaronic priesthood. uh, We know that, or we believe, or at least some do, at least I do, that uh, John the Baptist may have also held the the Melchizedek priesthood too. 
the last verse uh, of, of this chapter I'm going to read is verse 56. Mary's return to Nazareth, and Mary abode with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her own house. Notice that verse 56 is out of order. That's because the Joseph Smith translation puts it in this order that I've just read. Until the birth of John, Mary may have stayed until John's birth and then returned home. Mary inherited everything from her parents who had died in those times, a woman who had a close male relative would not have, have her own house. It would be said she returned to her father's house, etc. So notice in the verse here, it says that she returned to her own house, meaning that her family or her parents were dead and that she was the oldest living relative to own the house. Anyway, um, that's the end of this particular chapter for today, and uh, we will see you next time. Bye.